Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. Here we talk about everything to do with human performance and how leaders and organizations can get the best out of themselves and their people. I'm your host, Alex Young. My guest on the podcast this week is John Register. John failed to clear a hurdle as he trained for the Olympic Games, a move that led to a tragic accident which altered his life forever. He shifted his focus and embraced a new normal mindset. John is a decorated Persian Gulf combat US Army veteran and went on to become a two-time Paralympic Games silver medalist, a professional speaker and a global influencer. John amputated his fears and founded the U.S. Olympic Committee Paralympic Military Sports Program, and went on to author a book called 10 Stories to Impact Any Leader. John works with business leaders to hurdle adversity, amputate fear, and embrace a new normal mindset to win life's medals. His artificial leg used to win the silver medal is also displayed in the Olympic and Paralympic Museum in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where he lives currently. In today's podcast, we discuss how to overcome your fears how to battle adversity, and to win at life in general. Hi, John. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Alex, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited for this conversation. Your listeners out there are are just in for a treat because you are the man. You are making sure that people have these great conversations. So, yeah, happy to dive in. Well, thank you so much. If you're excited, I'm triply excited because I love speaking to sports people. I love speaking to people who've got a background in the military and have given their service. And you know, I particularly love people who've overcome adversity. And you are all three rolled into one. And your story is absolutely amazing. Um, rather than me kind of uh, butcher it, uh, it'd be great if you could give your own perspective on on your own journey that's that's led you to where you are today. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, to kind of set the whole stage in, in, in a very short you know, time period so we can have a conversation and dive into some of these topics. Think about the 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 proverbial riches to rags to riches story. So I'm a world class athlete running track and field for the University of Arkansas, which has won 42 national championships uh, since the uh, the early 80s. And um, so that's all. That's a big deal in the United States for track and field. And then. After I finished running and earning four, four All-American honors, I, I joined the military and I go on for six years in order to continue to run track and field. Uh, so I, I, I'm on the Army's world-class athlete program track and field team. I go to the SISM Games, which are the World Military Championships. I go to two Olympic trials in the high hurdles and in the 400-meter hurdles. Uh, I'm stationed over in Germany, about to go to officer candidate school. Uh, life is great. I'm going to be a lifer in the military. I'm going to do one more year to try to make the 1996 Olympic team and in a training session in Hayes, Kansas, uh, as I'm about to do my second race, hopefully underneath the 52nd barrier that uh, I was running in the 400 meter hurdles. I misstepped the third hurdle in a training session. I dislocate my left knee. I sever the artery behind the kneecap. And seven days later, I become an amputee. So I'm on my back and I'm trying to question what's my identity now? Who am I? How do I show up? Will my wife still stay with me? I mean, when I was in the war for Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm and came back, I saw so many service members, their families split up. So that was a very real thought for me. Would my son still see me as his father? What, how does he value me now? Because I have this amputated leg. 
do I still have a job in the military? Can I support my family? We look at the, the numbers now with the Americans with Disabilities Act that was signed into law in 1990. And we look at it in this in this time period that we're in in 2022, and, you know, 20, you know, 32 years later. And the numbers haven't moved for people with employment that have disabilities. It's still at about 71.5% in the United States market. Uh, we now have, you know, we can get into some of those numbers with the around the world of 15, um, you know, 15% of the world's population have a disability. But at that time, I was thinking about all these things. Can I stay in the, in the military? I mean, my, my, I'm not going to the Olympic Games anymore. So I was on this, not a downward spiral, but I was beginning the press. I could feel it on me from world-class athlete. Now I'm not going to the Olympics. And this press was coming on me. My wife, Alice, she says to me, you know what, John, we're going to get through this together. It's just our new normal. And that was the, the moment it shifted in me. Her words undergirded me to say, okay, well, she's going to stay with me. And it really wasn't, and we'll talk about this, it really wasn't her leaving me that was the most thing on my mind. The most thing, the, the thing that was on my mind is, am I still desirable do I still belong? And that was the, the biggest crust of it. Uh, so I did in turn my, my time of service. I got out of the military and started working for the Army's world-class athlete program, managing athletes on their journeys to try to make the 1996 Olympic Games and then on to the 2000 Games. Uh, during that time, I started swimming for physical therapy, and lo and behold, I was a swimmer <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, 27 months post my amputation, I actually made the Paralympic swim team and swam, uh, in the, in the games in 1996, saw athletes running and jumping on artificial limbs. I had a leg made for running and just four short years later, um, won the Paralympic silver medal in the long jump in Sydney, Australia, uh, becoming, you know, one of two amputees in the world at that time <clears throat> to jump over about 17 and a half feet or, um, just shy of six meters with an, an artificial leg. Uh, from there, I went on to work for, shifted, you know, to work for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee now and built out what's now known as the Paralympic Military Sport Program that uses sports as a tool to heal wounded, ill, and injured service members. That turned into Warrior Games. It turned into Prince Harry's Invictus Games. Uh, and now I'm a professional speaker since 2019 to really help people and organizations, companies, cultures to hurdle diversity amputate their fear, embrace a new normal mindset to win life's medals in their own lives. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, and we can dive anywhere you want to go right now, Alex. <laughs> well, it's such an amazing story, and I think for anybody listening who is, might be going through their own sort of trials and tribulations, it, it really sort of put things in, you know, puts things in perspective for, for a lot of mm. folks. Just sort of relying on my, my former career as an orthopedic surgeon, just for anybody listening, what John went through that you know, dislocating your knee is, is, is quite rare. It happens. It's quite rare. But actually, dislocating your knee and severing your popliteal artery is extremely rare and it's extremely sudden. And what you want. And extremely painful. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, uh, and, and, you know, that, that pain, as you say, is, is not, it's not just that physical pain, but it's then that, you know, th there's lots of yep. pain around sort of phantom limb syndrome, um, you know, for amputees and, and for people like that. And, and exactly as you touched on, all that psychological and, and, and mental um, hurdles that, that you know you have to overcome as well. J just really sort of focusing in on on that sort of particular time period because obviously that was something that completely changed your life and and was a sudden event. What were some of the things that you know kept you going? You mentioned your wife and the support there. 
What, what were some of the other things, you know, that, that you had that kept you going where other people might have, have really kind of crumbled at that stage? Yeah, you know, I think what is inside of us during our times of testing comes out during the test. We have a, a thought of what we might be, how we might show up, who we might be when a crisis comes. But we actually don't know that until the crisis is upon us. So we might have a character... Uh, some type of character issue that's going on. Our characters revealed during the time of testing. So I think inside of me during the time I had two really important things besides Alice was I have very strong faith in God. And so that was one thing that was instilled in me from my parents from a very young age, my father, a Presbyterian minister. Uh, and that was a part of my identity, right? It wasn't something church wasn't something to do. It was a part of who, how I show up. It's a part of wanting to offer service to others, right? So it's not a, a, a Sunday morning type of thing. It was ingrained in me. And that's what kind of came out. In fact, uh, not to my own, but to the, the testimony on the track that day was, John, the first word out of your mouth when your leg snapped in half was, hallelujah. Where did that even come from? Right? Because what's inside of us during our time of testing, that's what comes out. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I had surrounded myself with people who would not allow me to fail. And you don't know, you're just, you're just with your buddies, you're hanging out. You don't know these people as far as what happens in times of crisis. You think you, they'll have your back, but we don't know. But in this moment, you know, there's a picture, and I'd probably just give you so your audience can see it. I used to look at it as a painful picture, uh, Lieutenant... Um, Michelle Dickens took nine pictures that day on the track. And so those nine pictures were different angles of my leg looking like the letter L. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that looks horrible. That's painful. And it was. But then I started looking at everybody else that was in that picture who were supporting me when I couldn't support myself. Who supports you when you can't support yourself? When you are in the thick of it. I think the worst thing Facebook could have ever done was call us all friends. Because... I didn't call my 5,000 friends on Facebook because I'm maxed out of my limit. There's like one or two that are the most dearest people to me in my life. And those are the ones I reached out to. When we talk about going backwards, right? You know, do I, would I do things differently is often a question that comes up. No, I wouldn't because I can't change that. What I can do is learn the lesson and then change forward. And so that's where we really are, are trying to struggle to teach people um, in, you know, in, in the company, in the business model now is to that we can't go backwards. There's, there's, and so many people have gone through a cerebral amputation when it's come to uh, a racial reckoning or it's come to heated political elections that are going on. You know, you got, you got Boris over there who's, who's got some issues and then you have, you know, different opinions about that. We've had a, a heated political election over here in the United States. And then you had, we had the pandemic that's going on and, and we, you know, we're, 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 we're moving through this and people are saying one of two things I think gives us a, a state of um of of non-empowerment that we can do nothing about one is we'll say i just wish things will get back to normal or they're saying well i guess this is just our new normal in both those statements you can do nothing about so we we get jaded with the term because it's powerless but what if new is no prior point of reference and we treated it as such that that the no prior point of reference is how many of us have lived through a pandemic before Okay, so I don't have that skill set. Why am I trying to use old ideas, old thoughts, old systems to put into the new and get a different result on the other end? That's the definition of insanity. 
The normal is the everyday typical occurrence of a thought or an action. What are the rituals that we have in place that lead us on to a rhythm that elevate us to a rise that create the desired results that we're looking for? That's what we hold on to. And so when you're, you know, when I'm going through that, that the thing that I had in my life were my friends, my God, my family that really equated to how I was going to move through this. I didn't get it all right. But guess what? At the end of it, I can go back and I can assess and then move forward from that point to say, how do I want to show up the next time this crisis may happen? So that's that that was that's who was in my life. It's an amazing take on that situation. And I think you're, you're absolutely right at pulling out one of the, the main things that you touched on there, which is when people, people feel powerless in, in any circumstance and they feel like they're a victim or there's uncertainty in their future, you know, j- just like you had to a degree when these things happen. That's when the kind of fear comes in. That's when, you know, the bad self-talk comes in. And mm-hmm. that's when people tend mm-hmm. to sort of get into a rut. Um, when you were kind of coming through this, and obviously you you went through rehabilitation, you you found you know as you said you were an amazing swimmer, and then you you not like a normal person just just you know got on with things. You actually you know became a Paralympian as well. Um, you, you know what what was your thought process there? How did you adapt to that new way of life, and and how did you not just adapt but really take it to to the highest level you could? Yeah, well, see, I didn't even know about the Paralympic Games, right? It was something. It was not on my radar to go it, it, because I didn't know about it. There was there was no parallel path for me. This was just swimming for physical therapy rehabilitation. And so, as I was getting in the water and just kind of just doing laps, and the first time I could do like twenty five yards across the pool, and you know, coughing and choking because I'm stuck in so much water, a lifeguard comes up and says, "Hey, you know, move your arm in this direction and and pull the water this way and push the water behind you, and then turn your head and tilt it down so that." You your mouth actually comes up out of the water on your side. So I began practicing that. And she would just help me with that. And then uh, and then I got to the United States uh, Army's when I got out of the military, I started working for the Army. I had a general officer who said, hey, my daughter's swimming with um, this coach out at at, uh, at Gold's Gym or whatever the thing was out there um, in in, um, in Herndon, Virginia. Would you like to would you like to do some some exercise out there? I said, absolutely. So we'll come in a little bit late, you know, for work and, and just, just go out there. So five o'clock in the morning, I was getting up or four o'clock and going out there to this world gym thing and working with her coach and that coach became my coach and and I began immersing myself in how I was an athlete and a student there and putting myself in the water and learning the same things Uh, and I just got faster right and I put a mark on the wall when I heard about the Paralympic trials to say okay I'm going to try to make the trial standard right that'll be my you know my coup de grace and I made the trial standard I, I shaved off like seven seconds and made the trial standard but I didn't make the Paralympic team I was, there's no way. So I swam the trials. I go home. I missed the the standard for the, the Paralympic Games. And my thought was by one one hundredth of a second. And the coach, when I go home before the team's announced uh, to Virginia, where I was living, the coach, Cal from Catholic University, called him and says, why did you leave before the team was announced? I said, well, I didn't make it. I missed it by point zero one. But oh, my gosh, that was crazy. Right. I, I just made seven second improvement. This is awesome. He said, well, idiot, you know, <laughs> Uh, your flip turn at the 50 in the 100 meter freestyle counts and that flip turn was underneath the qualifying standard so we picked you up for our relay team and you get the chance to swim the 50 meter freestyle at the Paralympic Games in 1996 and I went dead silent I was like you mean to tell me I just made the Paralympic swim team 
I'm not going as a 400 meter hurdler, but I want as a Paralympic swimmer. Oh my gosh, right? It was just a mind blown. Um, and it was there I saw athletes running and jumping on all those artificial limbs. So that's it. You just immerse yourself. You begin the process. You don't need to have an end goal or date. The process is the process. Sometimes when you're going through, it's hour by hour. Sometimes it's, it's minute by minute, sometimes second by second, but you got to keep moving forward and not looking behind you. Keep the vision in front of you. Even if it's not as clear as you would like it to be, you're moving. You know that's the right direction to go in. So let's just let's just do it. Like I think Tony Robbins said, I just jump in the ice bath every morning, right? Or, uh, or I jump in my swimming pool. I just jump in the water. I don't hesitate. I get in and I just do my laps. Because that's what gets me going off in the morning time. And it could be something else for some somebody else. But what is your process, your ritual that gets you into your rhythm, that elevates you to the rise that you know is going to create the desired result that you need in your life? And just an amazing example of how, you know, anyone at any stage of their life can can become very proficient through practice, dedication and, and focus. You're listening to the Human Performance Podcast by Verti. If you're enjoying this episode, why not join our newsletter? When you sign up, you'll receive a copy of Level Up straight to your inbox every Thursday with the latest tips, tricks, and news about all things human performance. Head over to verti.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. That's verti.com forward slash newsletter. You can find this in the show notes. Anyway, back to the episode. Uh, you know, you mentioned Tony Robbins there, and he's a big proponent of of fear and how you know many people in your circumstance, or even not in your circumstance, if they ju- were just learning to swim, would be stopped from doing it by their own fear, by their own inner voice. Well, mm. What's your sort of take, having been through all these amazing experiences and overcome so much, on on fear itself holding people back? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're uh, Mr. Robbins and I kind of differ on on fear. And I think he's gone down this road. You know, I, I do listen a, a little bit uh, on him because uh, I think he's really remarkable on some very, some, some very specific areas. My take on fear is it's what's underneath the fear. Right. So what's driving the fear in the first place? And I think he does that really great. And, and, and when he goes out and he, and he helps people work through those, those issues. So what's really driving the fear? So it's not fear for fear's sake. Right. When I said Alice was going to leave me, that was a fear, but that wasn't really the fear. The fear was, do I belong? Am I, am I still desirable to my wife? Is, What's changed about my situation? And really nothing had. So it's fear is the story I'm telling myself. That's a negative story because it hasn't happened. It's only the story I'm making up. And then the other side of it is if I can tell myself a fear story, I can tell myself uh, a success story at the same time. I can I can switch it because that hasn't happened either. So I'm just choosing which one to allow in and what we allow into our brain every single day. That's what's going to drive the thoughts, right? You know, we get, what is it, 600,000 thoughts a day we get, and you know, most of them are 80% negative? No, we, let's, let's change that, right? We have the power to flip the, the, the thought process to the positive. What are we feeding ourselves? Who are we listening to? I no longer pretty much listen to American news because it's too jaded. It's, it's, it's left and right, you know? So what do I do? I go, what do other people from the outside of the United States think about the United States on things that are happening that are across the world. So I listen to BBC News, right? BBC World. And so I get a different perspective on the lens that I'm, I'm watching uh, from. Uh, and, I, and I only will, will do 15 minutes, right? I'm not going to let all that negativity in. I just need to be aware of what's going on around me. So that's one for fear. I think what holds us back, 
let's take, uh, for example, we're in the pandemic, so let's, you know, we'll date the show, I guess. But in the pandemic, I think what holds us back from making that commitment and not being and, and getting from being paralyzed in it are, are two things for making commitments. The first is other people, other people believing for us what we can or cannot do which is based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in our situation. That's the, that's the, that's huge. So it's just not the toy Tonka truck on the playground where the bully's out there. It keeps on going into our professional lives and we are terrified of not being accepted and belong to the community that we're in. The second one is society. Society has impacts on us as well. Uh, I did a lot of work with our military veterans that came back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of them were burned over 90% of their bodies from some of the, the fights that they were in. So as they're going through Brook Army Medical Center, one of the best burn units there uh, at the hospital, what has society told them about being burned? Many folks come up and say, thank you for your service, and they salute them for the service. But when they go home and they watch the television, they see the movie come out, we have Jason on Nightmare on Elm Street that says you are burned, you're horrific, so therefore society's going to say you shouldn't even be across from your children because you're the nightmare in your children's dreams. And we're passive about it because we're entertained from it. So therefore, when we see somebody in the grocery store that's burned over their body, we immediately associate that with the Jason or whoever that was and, and whatever it is. And if you look at it, look at, look at all the, the movies that come out. What do villains look like? Most of them, you know, over 90% of villains. There's some type of disfigurement. There's some type of mental aspect that is going on in their mind that we call deranged or delusional. And we elevate that up to bring fear into the conversation. You know? And so I think we have to either, you know, I know we're not going to get rid of Hollywood for, for, for doing those things, but we can make enough noise to say, I'm no longer going to accept that. You know, I can vote with my dollar whether I'm going to go see that movie or not. And that's just one thing of, that drives our fears. So what we have to do is build the momentum of who we have in our lives and build that momentum to the hurdle that's in front of us in order for us to jump. And as we were talking, though, before the show, <laughs> when we build the momentum, there is a point, the penultimate step before the hurdler jumps, before the long jumper jumps, you know, before, before the pole vaulter plants, the penultimate steps lowers the center of gravity in order to get the, the to, to maintain the highest level of momentum to go into whatever the activity is. And there is a point of release. You have to commit to whatever it is you're going to commit to. And if you if you don't, you live a life of not really regret. It's, it's a life of justification, justifying to yourself and to others why you were not courageous enough to commit to the thing that you know you needed to do. And if you do it, you land on the other side, which I call is the um, kind of the rebirth. And now you're in a process of having to unlearn everything that you learned up to this point in order to advance forward knowing that you have these others in society back there that offer, you just you know said earlier, phantom limb pain, phantom pains, to go back and say, did I make the right choice? I still feel a little bit of this limb that's there, that's, that's no longer there, is still there because these nerve endings haven't shut down uh, adequately, in, in, adequately enough. So that's why I think about, you know, you know, in your question on, on, you know, what the fear is and how we get over that fear. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, you know, the, the honest, for me, uh, and, I, and I believe it's true for everybody. It's what I've been testing out is no one can make the person jump. I think we're looking for that silver bullet to make us jump, to make us do the commitment. 
I can help you with the momentum, Tony Robbins. I can help you with the outside. You know, after you jump, Tony Robbins, I can't make you make the jump. You have you have to turn the switch. Whatever it is in your life, you have to make the switch and the jump for your, for yourself. No book can do that for you. Really, really interesting. You know, hearing you talk on you know exactly on that topic, and and you know what one of the things we're seeing a lot in you know workforces across the world at the moment is people leaving their jobs and and taking on a little bit more risk on the back of the pandemic, which you know yeah, even yeah. even a year ago or two years ago we never would have seen. And I think for me personally, you know, I I made a big decision to leave my job as a a practicing surgeon to then found a, a tech company, which at the time was hugely risky. And for me personally, it was all about having leverage on myself to, to yeah. really help me to make that decision. And it was almost a, you know, a FOMO type decision, which was, I love my job doing surgery, <laughs> like was absolute privilege to, uh, you know, help patients on a daily basis. But if I didn't apply myself or, or at least have a go at doing this other thing that was in the back of my mind and was, was knocking on my door every single day. Was I going to get to, you know, 35, 40, whatever, and, and regret it and, and live with regret. And that was the, mm-hmm. the big piece of leverage mm-hmm. for me. But what, what's, what's your sort of, you know, hot take on people now where they are, you know, in a workforce, they maybe haven't had to make any, any big autonomous changes, but, but now they are. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, my, my thoughts are is they've they've come to a reckoning moment. And so that what we were talking about a little earlier is the desire to return to a previous state or just stay in the state that you're in is 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 a wake up moment. Right. So I don't want to return back. And I realize I can't return back to a previous state. I can't return back to a state of where I actually have two legs, my my uh, my real leg, the blood running through that leg. It's gone. So that's the point of reckoning that I realize I can't go backwards. So I think what's going on with people are several different things. Uh, the, the first is covid has allowed us to slow down so much uh, that we are seeing who we actually are without the noise, without the the airplane ride, without the, the, the hustle and bustle two hours back and forth to my work, my job. And because of that, oh, I can do a load of laundry. Oh, I can actually hang out with my children. Oh, I could actually I could actually do this. And they're having this awakening moment uh, in life, and they're juxtaposing that to the way they're being valued and treated from the employee, the employer. And the employer is trying to make the numbers, make the revenue, make make all these things happen. And if the culture was not set in such a way that valued with um, with empathy and led with empathy for their employers, um, because think, you know, I know in the United States, at least. Right. We had um, individuals who are working in high pressure companies and now. The, the the women, for example, they go back into the household. And of course, we say that, that it's an equal footing with guys and gals inside the household that are going to be working with the children for um, for their schoolwork because all the children are home now. But we know through through the stats that most of the women were doing that work. So they're doing their job. They're doing they're, they're raising the, the, the children in, in, the, in the household, too, and, and all these other things that were just being impressed upon them. Not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what was going on that was happening. And so I'm overwhelmed. And my job is now seeing the cat running through the, the Zoom call thing. And the kids are asking for, can you can you help with my homework, mom or dad? And and, and so, no, I'm on the phone. I got this call. So did we empathize employers with that moment? 
Or did we just say, I just need these numbers. Just please, just give me these numbers. We got to, we got to, we got to drive revenues. We got to get the targets. We got the, the investors need to, need to have the, we got to get the shareholder returns. Or did we really empathize in this moment and slow ourselves down, realizing we have shifted? Remember, we were trying to do old things, old mindsets into a new environment that we have never been in, trying to get a different result. It's the definition of insanity. And people started checking out. They say, my life is more valuable than this. I'm, I'm out. So it'll shift. It'll, it'll come back around. You know, things will settle. Things will correct um, because nothing stays the same. Change is always constant. It will. It might look different, but it will come back around for sure. hundred uh, percent. And and but we have to walk through this process. Remember, for me, from the point of injury to the point of winning a silver medal in the Paralympic Games in, in, uh, 19, in 2000 was se- almost seven years. We haven't even been in two years through the pandemic right now at the time of this recording. So that's what, you know, we have to embrace the process. And that's what we call embrace the new normal mindset. Embrace the process of what we're going through and know that we're not going backwards. We are moving forward. Uh, we don't know how, how long we have to go, but we're, we are. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We will come out of this season. And that's the hope that we can hold on to. And um, one of the things I absolutely love, I mean, I love all of your backstory and all the, the amazing things that you overcome, but in particular, what you're doing now where you've done all these incredible mm. things, but you're actually helping others and you're setting up infrastructure for other Paralympians or, or now, you know, through your coaching, you're, you're really helping others. How did that kind of come about? And, and what are some of the common things when you speak to either businesses or individuals that, that you sort of reflect on from your story that really empowers them? Hmm. You know, I think it came about just by being one that off offered service, you know, it goes back to how my dad raised me, how my uncles, I saw people respond and act around me. And so it was always about service and, and helping where I could and not just helping, but also receiving it. Right. Because I'm not perfect. I want to know how to, to, to learn and grow as well. So not being threatened by anybody to say that, you know, you're trying to take something from me or I'm trying to take from you. I just want to offer that service. And if my life story can help uh, another individual overcome what they're going through in life, then I think that's great. Most of the time we call these ripples that go out from us, right? Uh, and I used to think in terms of ripples, but that's not the measurement tool that I use. So ripples go out from us, but I measure the success by echoes that come back. So echo moments, echo moments are those moments that come back to us. Think of dolphins or mammals in the water, whales, when they're using sonar to either find fish or navigate. They're using the ping out and it comes back and it tells them where to to go in the water. We look at that with people who are blind or visually impaired. And so they use the ear gate. Uh, in order to know where they are in time and space. So it's the echo that comes back to align them in their environment of where they are and how they are showing up. We also, I believe, have these in our lives that we just don't pay attention to. Echo moments come back to us. So when we've said something out there, it never returns to us. It continues to go out. Um, we do, we just think we say one thing and that's it. It's done. No, it continues to spread, but it will hit somebody in such a visceral way that eventually it may come. It will come back to you if you're listening for it. And that, that echo moment says you're on the right path, or you might need to course correct yourself from what you have been saying out there. Words are life. Words give this the power of life and death are on the side of this tongue. We can lift people up or we can slam people down. You know, the old adage of sticks and stone may break your bones, but words never hurt you biggest lie ever 
Words can destroy people. And so we have to be very carefully and crafty with it. So the work I'm doing now with, with companies is to do that elevation. It's inside of that very small window of making a commitment to the jump that you have to do or on the other side, knowing that the phantom pains will subside and you can do the work to actually get yourself there. There's, there's thousands of books on how to build the momentum. There are thousands on the other side. I work in that very small window where there is no book. Right. There's no there's no book for it. We just got to make you get the courage to to make the jumps. So uh, so as I'm coaching now, it's in, in a lot of different areas. It's one is our athletes have are they're trying to hear their own voice right now. They're trying to see how their voice is showing up differently in in a world that they're more they're more valuable and, and they're and they have a they have these uh these devices called cell phones that are out there and they're their own marketing person. So what do I want to say? How do I want to show up? How do I, how do I want to enact my voice to cause impact and inspiration in the world? How am I going to use that? And, um, it's, it's shifting. It's shifting all the, the news reporters. Do I need to really show up to a press conference or do you need to show up to my press conference on, on Instagram live or on, you know, Facebook live or on, on LinkedIn or whatever the, the, the platform might be. TikTok. You need to come to my platform. This is where I'm going to host my conference with my fan base and you can come in and ask me a question in there if I allow you to come in. And the, the reporter's like, oh my gosh. Wait a minute. We got the we got the Wimbledon coming up. We need you in our we need you in uh, the, the the press room. And we we're seeing athletes choose not to do that any longer because they already have their fan base and they want to speak to their fans because their fans understand them and want to go into the stories that they want to put out and present. They understand them better. Whereas the the shock journalism may want the another story, right? And I don't want to give you that story. That's not a part of what I want to say. So I'll just use my platform to do it. So that's what I'm helping athletes try to understand that they have voice and they can articulate that voice, uh, you know, in, in, in however they want to show up uh, in, in society. And so for businesses, we do something similar, but it's always as, as a part of trying to get the team performance up higher. So wherever you are in the team, I don't work with like the team in general, like all the team members together. Because, there's, again, there's so many programs for that. Let's look at the individual performance inside of that team. What is my personal responsibility to the end state of what we said we're going to commit to? Because that's the harder question. People can hide in teams, as you, as you probably know, right? People can hide out in teams. But if I am valued and I belong inside of this team and my voice is being heard and I'm not being ostracized, oh, you only got here because of fill in the blank, then we can elevate the team and move faster. And I think that's what companies are finding out. Uh, they're more nimble uh, when they allow the voice of all people inside of the organization to be heard and to be valued. And so that's what we kind of help under undergird through a pers my personal story, but no one wants to hear my story. They want to know how my story actually impacts them. And that's where we do the work to build out that individual performance. So, yeah. So thanks for asking that question. That's that's where our, our work is right now. And it's, it's fun. It is great to see the transformation. I mean, when you see a soldier's uh, lights come back on in their eyes and know that they can actually accomplish something or or the, the executive, the CEO say, oh, my gosh, that idea, you know, I, I don't know if it's really going to work, but I'm going that direction because that's going to be the best for the clients that we're serving and commit to that instead of, oh, I need to commit to the shareholders over there. You can do both. Right. So it, it, it doesn't have to be an in some game of this or that. It can, it can be yes. And.
Just amazing advice, I think, for anybody listening. Uh, you know, whether you are a, an athlete, a power athlete, or in a in a business Fortune 500 company, I think there's so much you can take from some of those those sentiments. Um, John, just as we sort of you know begin to wrap things up, uh, one of the things I ask all of our guests uh, on the end of the podcast is is people who have inspired you and who your human performance hero is. So I'd be really really interested to to hear who yours might be. <laughs> Well, they're, they're, what comes to mind right now, there are two, um, and for similar reasons, um, but I think they've they shaped me critically in my life. One is, uh, and they don't, they don't, they've never known it, right? So, and I, I probably just need to tell them. The first is my dad. So he was jailed in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, in '63 for the right to vote, for Africans having the, African Americans having the right to vote. Because beforehand, we we saw uh, poll taxes, we saw coming to the polls, you had to answer questions before 1963, right? Even though we had the the 15th Amendment, 13th, 14th Amendments, which gave the right, we just it was always met with extreme resistance. And so why is that? You know, the power struggle, those that empower don't want to relinquish power. That's why you want redistricting of districts because I want to hold on to power, right? So that was one. So seeing finding a note in his desk that, sh- that uh, showed him jailed in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with nine other clergy was, was powerful. But the more powerful thing about that was when that judge who sentenced him into those those 10, 12 days in prison um, for <laughs> littering, which is funny, um, when those when those when that judge retired or, or I guess I think he died off the bench, he's replaced by an African-American woman. So I, I thought that was just just totally blew my mind. And so she was walking around and shared that with him uh, when she came to visit his church to kind of, you know, kind of right the wrongs and asked him, he said, do you want me to expunge the record? He said, no, that proves I was in the fight. You know, <laughs> keep my keep me on the rolls. <laughs> so I thought that was that was great. Um, my the second is my my uncle, my uncle Gloucester. Uncle Gloucester, he's passed on now, but he, he was the last, uh, he was in charge on all the platform speakers on the March on Washington. He was the ex- National Executive Branch's director for the National Association of People of Colored People, so NACP. And the last person to see Medgar Evers, the, the, the murdered civil rights leader back in the 60s that was, was slain and, and murdered. Um, so in his bus, right, when I'm walking through the museum, the African American Museum of Culture and History in Washington, D.C., his bust is in there. The, the first person's name that I see as I walk in the museum is John Hope Franklin. That's who I'm named after. He has a quote on the wall. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a legacy of heritage. And it 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 centers me so much of what am I doing with my life? Am I honoring this legacy that I've been gifted? Uh, and so that, again, it was all about service for people. So that's what I'm always trying to do. At the end of my days, it was, when this business coach told me, she said, "What?" She said, she said, John, what do you think uh, is the most important thing in business? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, leads, contacts, uh, marketing. She said, nope. So how are you going to dispose of your business? How are you going to dispose of it? How are you going to wrap it up? You're going to put it on the stock exchange. You're going to leave it to your children. You're just going to fold up the shop and close it. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's good. Because that means my business would have been successful, right? And then now I'm trying to leave it. So I said, what's, what's at the end of life? That's what I, that was the next question for me. And I said, well, I want to hear my God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, entering the joy of my rest, right? So 
then I need to seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things that can be added to me. So I need to be of service to people. I got to be, I got to go double down on this service thing because I want to be able to help people uh, in that capacity. And it comes from a, a, just a genuine spot. That's why people are always c- coming around me and connecting, right? Because I think that's, that's how we sh- should show up for one another. Uh, there can't be a thousand John registers. There needs to be one. And then I need to connect with everybody else. And that gets to our vision, uh, vision of our company is to inspire worlds. So we all have a world that we impact and can influence. I can inspire the world, but I can inspire my world. And so our tag is always go forth, inspire your world. Why? Because go is your command. Forth is your direction. Inspire is your vocation. Your, because only you can do this work. And world, it's your sphere of influence. So thanks for the question, Alex. Amazing. And, and just what um, incredible examples those are. And, you know, whenever anything uh, to do with, you know, especially in America, but, but just race and general is brought up, like, it always occurs to me that, you know, the 1960s, not that long ago. Um, and not long ago. You know, still a heck of a lot of problems that need to be overcome, both in, uh, you know, on a global scale, but also in sort of a workplace diversity level as well, that, that you know, anyone listening can start to impact. Uh, immediately, and I, I definitely encourage them to do so. And um, I think you know that that final piece you were just touching on there, John, about having that higher purpose and, and looking at like you know how you want to be remembered, and and that sort of almost like you know uh, gravestone test, which is you know if people go to your grave, how right. do they remember you? It is just a really powerful way to focus down all your behaviours, everything you're focused on. Um, and, 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 you know, really kind of wraps back around to what you were talking about, which is overcoming and getting through adversity. If you've got that bigger purpose ahead of you, as you said, with, you know, religion and, and your family and people you surrounded you with, uh, you've been surrounded with, that's the thing that's going to really help you in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that once you grab it, once you understand that for your life and it's not about, cause you know, uh, another context, right? People are so deathly afraid of public speaking, speaking. It's like one of the top fears all the time. And I really believe that it's one of the top fears is because we're focused so much on ourselves. How are people going to see me? How are they going to view me? How will my words be accepted? Do I need to craft in the right way? And it's all going into ego. It's all feeding, trying to say, and it, once you just release that to say, you're the person in the room because you're the person in the room. They need to hear from you. You have the information that they need to hear. And if you go with an act of service, it's you're less likely to feel that anxiety. Yeah, you have butterflies. I always had butterflies when I was when I was, you know, running track or, you know, you got the, the anticipation to start. But after you get out out of the gate, you know, you're just know that you are in flow uh, and that flow helps you and helps others. So that's that's what I, I always generally will, will focus on uh, during my my time, you know, and that's. That was gifted to me. You know, my mom is just, um, she just expired. She just passed away on December the, the 9th of 2022. Um, and I was in Dubai when it happened, but I had gone to see her, you know, over Thanksgiving uh, in, in the United States. And I was always checking in on her and my father. And so I don't have that regret of not having said goodbye, right? I'm, I'm sorrowful. I, I miss not being able to call my mother, chatting with her, talking to her. But at the same time, I also know that I, I, I did the things that I said I was going to do. I made those commitments and even and I moved stuff off the calendar to go just to, t- to take that time with them. Right. And and I think that's what we have to do. We have to what's the maximum, the most important thing and put that in front and say, I'm going to commit to that. 
because that's going to make me run better in order to help everybody else. My wife's a flight attendant. She says, put your oxygen mask on first before you help other people, right? <laughs> and and that's what we have to do. We have to t- have that self-care, and I call God care, but you know, it's the self-care so that we can actually be in service uh, to others and really help them um, and not just the, the superficial stuff that's on the top. Really get down to really you know helping people through some tough st- things that they're, they're dealing with in life. Well, I think that's a fantastic point to, to end on. Really, really powerful message. And, um, you know, I'm sure we could talk about lots of different topics all day. But, you know, if people do want to, to get in touch with you and find a little bit more about all the amazing things you've accomplished and continue to do and any of your coaching and books, where can they go to find out a little bit more, John? You know, the the best thing, and thank you for that. I appreciate that, Alex. The, the, the best place to go is my Linktree. So you get everything right there. I just found out this great thing, Linktree. So it's, uh, it's linktree.com slash John F. Register. Linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E dot com slash John F. Register F is in Frank for Franklin John F Register and that that gives you every single thing it gives you the website it gives you my linked LinkedIn because I'm I'm massive on LinkedIn right now uh, it gives you the Instagram it gives you some stories it gives you the book it gives you all I think is all kind of stuff so you can just get out there um, uh, the book is called Ten Power Stories to Impact Any Leader Journal Your Way to Leadership Success because I have another amazing leader that said always work yourself out of a job so as a professional speaker that's what I tr- always try to do and so I said. In times of crisis, people need to have their own story. They don't need to call me in because it's too late, right? So I use 10 of my stories I usually don't share in, in, for audiences. And at the end of it, I challenge with, with like five questions. And those five questions are built so that you will have five, uh, you will have questions that you answer from my story. And that will give you 10 stories after you read my 10 stories of your own that you can actually engage when you have a crisis. And it's a workbook that goes with it. So we're putting that into print form. Uh, and that's, it's another, it's a gift. It's to help other people to work me out of a job. <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, John, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, it's been so, so interesting and I uh, wish you all the best luck in the future uh, and, and hope you have a great rest of, rest of your day uh, and year. Hey, thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. Blessings to all of you out there that are listening on the Human Performance Podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. 